the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 582 for Monday, December 7th, 2015. Good readings, folks, and Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab episode 582 for Monday, December 7th. As my friend John said at the beginning, we are the show where you send in your questions, your tips, and your cool stuff found. We share it all. We try to answer everything that's possible. We share all the information that you send to us. The goal is for all of us, every one of us, me included, to learn at least three new things every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Gazelle at gazelle.com, where you can send off uh, your iPhone and make some money back. We'll talk about that later. Bushel at bushel.com slash MGG, where you get three devices for free forever. We'll explain what that means a little bit later. Bombix software at B-O-M-B-I-C-H dot com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG 10 off saves you 10% from Carbon Copy Cloner. And also Data Robotics, the Drobo folks. Coupon code GEEK100 saves you 100 bucks. We'll talk about which devices that works on, but it means you can get a Drobo for less than 200 bucks Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in leafless Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. Now you're, all your leaves are, I assume all your leaves are down. Ours have been down for a little while. Yeah. Well, they were down, but they weren't out. So we have our... Uh, pick up here and so uh, i got 23 bags on the uh, oh. on the sidewalk there uh, hey it's not that bad i got a small yard but that's a lot of leaves man bags yeah wow that's pretty yeah. good so we got like a lot of towns you you throw them in the bag and they come by and they put it in the the big town leaf pile which i have to check out someday it's gotta be awesome <laughs> <laughs> i imagine that's what they do i mean they got to do something with them you got to do something with a them huge town leaf pile yeah i, I, I just think they should open that up for you for know, jumping into letting him well, well that's what i'm saying is rather than just letting them sit there and rot which is what they do and then you know you can come and pick that up later for free but but just give everybody a chance to jump into the big town leaf pile I mean, that'd that would be awesome be, oh yeah i'll uh, look into it I'll, I'll, I'll form a committee perfect hey we were speaking of uh doing crazy things uh and the results of those the impacts of your actions uh we were talking about broken iphones in a recent show and listener rick uh wrote in we had asked what the criteria was for the um for the uh for the iphone flat rate repair program and uh he said uh, the terms were the terms are that the device cannot be beyond repairable condition that is a liquid spill or submersion that was causing malfunction or physical damage beyond repair. These devices were considered total losses thrown away and the customer would have to pay full retail price for a new phone. Um, Apple never explains why they do what they do, but uh, the terms are such because total loss devices don't fit into Apple's certified refurbished business model. They accept repairable devices and run them through their refurbishment process, replacing parts and testing them to verify you know, as good as new condition, they can sell them as refurbs for two ninety nine, or use them for warranty claims, such as the one that I went through with my son. 
total losses are worthless for repair purposes because they may have to replace every part in the phone to bring it back to certifiable condition, which is too risky. Apple likes to make money on everything that they do. Um, going through what I went through with, with my son, he says, typically the genius would, would give your son a phone package in a plain white box, which is true, not from a full retail box, or he never let you see the box. No, we saw it. That's because it was a refurb phone, not a brand new one. And customers start asking questions right away when they see the packaging. Looks and works like new. The warranty is 90 days or your original warranty, whichever is longer. Says I received a refurb phone once too. Worked like a gem. Good as new until I took it swimming with me in a pool. So um, he says Apple will not hand out a virgin iPhone in retail packaging unless the customer is throwing a fit about accepting a refurb and receives a customer satisfaction code. Um, A CSC is Apple's way of of allowing their techs to do things beyond the, whatever they're initially empowered to do. And there you go. So thank you, Rick. That's uh, very, very helpful info. We always like to hear from folks that, uh, that can provide a little more insight. So if you, if you break your phone, uh, if it's something that's possibly repairable, um, then you might be able to get a replacement as part of the uh, flat rate repair program. But otherwise, you need to pay full price. So there you go. Well, that makes sense because yeah. Apple, when you get down to it, Dave, is in the business of making money. That's it. Right. Absolutely. And if they can take what you give them and refurbish it and sell it yep. for less than full retail, but make some money. And now have I talked about refurb tracker, Dave? No, go ahead. Okay. So I want to make sure. So I have been, so I have the, uh, mini the mid I believe it's the mid 2010 mini it's kind of wimpy I think mostly because it has the core too so I've been looking every now and then and uh, for anybody who's followed Apple or the refurb store so Apple has refurbs uh, as suggested that are things that are repaired and made good as new and then Apple sells them at a discount and, and any them. computer I get from Apple if possible I get as a refurb and my, my retina iMac is no different. I waited until the day they went on sale on the refurb store back in January and I bought one immediately. So they, they're as good as new. They come yep. with, you know, we were talking about in, in terms of the replacement that was given to my son with the iPhone, we were talking about a 90 day warranty with it. And that's true when it's given that way. But when you buy it fresh from Apple, I don't want to say buy it new, but when you buy a computer like I did with my iMac in January, it comes with a full one year warranty that you can add Apple care to. It is treated like a new computer when you get it so right and i did that with the refurb uh macbook pro that i got mm-hmm. I, I did opt for the uh two-year extension but um but this one site that i found pretty uh, uh it hasn't ruined my day it's actually helped me um realize that you gotta move quick uh but it's refurb r-e-f-u-r-b dash tracker.com and it basically you can say Tell me when the status of either all products, which I, I don't know if you necessarily want to know that, but in my case, I wanted to find a refurb Mac mini, either a 2014 or a 2012. And so I signed up and said, well, you know, tell me about this. Cool. Um, and it basically did exactly. And every now and then there's a change and, and just to rub it in. Sometimes if you click on an email that has, so, so they have some sort of script that looks at the, you know, that constantly pings the store and it's, you know, easier than you doing it. But um, sometimes when I click on one, it'll say, oh, this has been uh, not on sale for 12 hours. Move quicker, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so it kind of shames you into like, you know, constantly, you know, checking as soon as you get an email because they're, they're constantly checking. So, well, and, it, and it's true there. They change because mm-hmm. it, it changes constantly. Especially I've, minis. 
I used to rely on, on, you know, close friends and Mac know-it-alls saying, Hey, you know, the minis are available in the refurb store, but it's just such chaos that, that, you know, something like this really makes more sense. If if that's, if you know exactly what you're looking for, I would say otherwise. Yeah. You you probably don't want to know about all the things changing in the refurb store because that's no, but you can filter by keyword here and you can get it emailed to you or you can sign up for an RSS feed. That's a good one, John. Thank you. All right. Uh, Along similar lines, we heard from, where am I here? Uh, This is interesting. We heard from someone in the Apple Care group over at Apple uh, when we were talking in the last show about needing to do the force quit of the finder in order to get El Capitan's finder to remember a new window position. That's what we talked about in show 581. And that was definitely true for me. I had gone months and months and months without uh, being able to get it to wasn't stick. crazy talk. Okay. No, no. And, and there were crazy talk. There were many forum posts. I mean, there were other, that the only way I found out how to do it was by reading somebody else's description of the solution, which, which we shared. Um, and uh, somebody wrote in and said, I work in Apple care and I'm interested in this force quitting the finder behavior you described in 581, because I don't believe I see the same behavior whenever I use the old trick, which is to just open a new window, move it, close it. Uh, it works. So I went back and listens closely and I still don't understand it. And sure enough, I went and tested it again. Uh, this person had asked me to send a, a uh, uh, you know, a, a, a screen capture through. So I fired up screen flow and I started making, I made my screen capture and lo and behold, I moved the window and I closed it and I opened a new one and it opened right where I left the old one. <laughs> like, just like it's supposed to. I thought, well, that didn't work a week ago. So evidently whatever it was that had me stuck um, doing the force quit the finder thing, unstuck it and fixed it. So I'm guessing it was something in a finder finder P list file that on proper shutdown was, you know, saving again in the wrong way. And uh, the force quit of the finder, the relaunch, I should say there's, it's no force mm-hmm. quit finder option. It's called relaunch, but uh, I'm guessing that fixed it. So thank you for writing in that. That was super, super handy. And uh, so if you need to change the location, the default location of your finder window, open a new finder window, drag it to where you want it to be, resize it to where you want it to be, but don't select anything inside it. Once you've got it in the shape and location you want, close the window. That should do it. If that doesn't do it, do all those steps, but at the end, force quit the finder, relaunch the finder, and it, it should unstick that for you. So thank you, everybody, for writing in. Good stuff. Nice to hear from our folks at Apple, our friends at Apple. Um, Moving on to Shayla. Shayla writes, uh, again, regarding episode 581, where we talked about unauthorized apps and having to right-click on them to open them. Uh, Shayla offers an alternative. If you try to open an unauthorized app and get that warning that says you can't open it, If you go immediately to the security preference pane, it will have noticed that you just tried to open an app and say, do you want to open it anyway? So you don't have to do the right click thing. Uh, You can do it that way. And it'll say uh, not only or she continues and says, not only can you click yes and open, but I believe this also creates the full time exception for that app for future use. So you don't have to keep doing this. So that's a uh, I, I suppose that's the the official way of doing it. Which is interesting because I never knew that there was an official way of getting one of those to open. So without the right click. And Shayla writes, 
In all of your discussion about the Handy Maintenance app, I started wondering, now that we don't have repair permissions, what is going on in that cleanup area? I have to say that Yosemite involved a lot of broken permission repair for my Mac, and I don't know if that was a Yosemite issue or if I should expect a giant crash in the future. And before we answer this question, John, I want to read Tony's scenario here because things got very interesting for our friend Tony, especially about permissions. Says I normally upgrade systems when they come out. Uh, Apple's done a good job of troubleshooting, and I seldom experience problems. El Capitan was not so smooth. I think I hit some kind of odd perfect storm that almost knocked me out, but it appears I came through mostly unscathed. Before updating to El Capitan, I made all of my backups uh, and clones and all of that stuff. I upgraded, restarted, and waited, and waited and waited for over a day. Only the Apple logo appeared on my screen. I finally did what I did not want to do, and I turned off the machine with the power key. I tried to restart and waited. Same thing. After many hours, only showing the Apple logo. So I went into recovery mode, which worked. I used disk first aid. Everything checked out. I reinstalled the system from Apple and restarted and waited and waited again. I finally had to turn the machine off, but it restarted the next time. Same problem. In the meantime, it turned out that my time capsule was corrupt. I had not been making backups, so there was no easy to determine when that stopped. No easy way to determine when that stopped. So now my wife's machine wasn't backed up either. We did crash plan and backed her up to my machine and also to the web. Then I reformatted my time capsule, which seems to fix that. But I still could not run my machine right. Photos weren't syncing. Onyx wouldn't run. I was afraid to restart. I found something in an error message I was getting with photos and iTunes, and it said to fix the permissions and restart. That's fine, except El Capitan no longer has permissions repair as an option. So I exercised my set of Google Foo and found a terminal command to fix El Capitan repair permissions he says it took a few hours to run but it ran and it's interesting it's a it's a command called repair packages which is what permissions repair does uh, it goes through all of the packages and makes sure that your system is configured properly for all the packages that you have installed os 10 being one of those packages he restarted everything came up fine and everything worked fine so uh in addition to the moral of the story being that you need to have multiple backups uh which is good El Capitan's permissions repair uh, was, or an A permissions repair in El Capitan uh, was required. And, I, and it makes sense. Here's how El Capitan works, right? Once it's up and running, you shouldn't ever need to repair permissions because nothing can touch the portions of the OS where those permissions have been set. So all the things that would need to be fixed by a permissions repair couldn't be changed any other way. Therefore, there's no, if they can't come undone, there's no reason to have to redo them. But if your permissions aren't right, getting El Capitan to install and you get as, at least as far as Tony did, then you do have a problem because you can't repair them with El Capitan's tools. You have to use this terminal command. And uh, so that makes, it makes sense. And I'll buy it. It's um, <laughs> no, it doesn't. Why doesn't it make sense? Of course, it makes sense. No, I shake my fist at you. All right. What doesn't make sense about it? Well, uh, what doesn't make sense to me is that if you are going to insist upon not allowing people to repair their permissions, then you should make sure that they're in good shape before they transition to an OS that doesn't allow it. Yeah. Well, my so guess is that the El Capitan installer 
does this permissions repair. I mean, it's, it should. It yeah. should. Right. It. It, it, it's it's baked into El Capitan, right? In in user libexec, mm. there is this repair packages thing and and it lets you do all of that. So, you know, it's funny because I did the same thing Tony did. I actually was going to bring it up as a, I don't know. I, I was trying to figure which bucket to put it into. I was going to sure. try to put it into a cool stuff found for a future episode in that I found a link to the article. It actually wasn't firsthand. It was secondhand. Okay. But it, I ran it and actually my MacBook Pro reported numerous permission issues using this terminal command, which Huh. Yeah, stated uh, verifies the standard packages. So at least in my case, Dave, on my system, which I think I upgraded from a fresh install of the prior OS. So I wouldn't say so it wasn't a fresh install of the latest. Right. It was migrated from something at least one version back. I'm almost certain of that. If I go back in my archives. Yeah. So I'm kind of upset that I saw lots of permission issues running this terminal command. I was like, huh? My system pretty, I, I could understand if it was like, you know, two, three, four, five versions ago, but just one version upgrade? Hmm. Huh. Even Anyways, still, it, it shouldn't so, matter, so, right? I mean, it, it so should I am be a okay. Data point, uh, uh, so I just want to advertise, I am a data point of somebody who installed the OS uh, one version back, did an upgrade, and I did see permission issues running this command line, Voodoo, which I'm, I'm not sure if we see should suggest people do that or not. Dave. So I'm running it on my iMac down in the office right now, not the oh one that I'm recording gosh. on. Well, you know, You're crazy. You've been pretty risky. Yeah, I know. Well, somebody's going to maintenance, which, well, that, that wasn't really risky. No, like, no, oh, that's cool. I'm getting what a nice I, subset. I'm getting things related to the printing system where they want the permissions different, yeah, but it's like, it's very minor. You know, it, it says that the library printers folder should be root writable. It's like, Oh, Okay, you, you know, but this isn't gonna mm. this isn't gonna change the world here. Um, but uh, we'll we'll let it run, and uh, and I'll report back and see. Thus far, it's only printers, so I'll I'll keep you uh, I'll keep us all posted throughout uh, throughout the episode here. We'll keep it interesting, you know. Keep it interesting. Uh, so we have some correlation here. Yeah, Tony. I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's good stuff. Hey. uh, while we're here, I want to take a minute and uh, and talk about our first two sponsors, if if that's okay, John. Please talk. All right, backups are one of our favorite things to talk about because they save us from so much headache here. And Bombic Software, the makers of Carbon Copy Cloner, feel the same way. They have been creating bootable Mac backups. Since 2002, it's not that they've been creating them. It's that they've written this software that allows you to create bootable Mac backups since 2002. Now, of course, with uh, with the changes that Apple's made in the last few OS updates, they allow you to back up Apple's recovery HD volume. The results of these backups are just as important as what they back up because a backup is worthless to you if you can't get it the data Carbon Copy Cloners backups are all in a non-proprietary format. They are just files on volumes. No different than anything that you're starting with on your Mac. This means you can take a clone slash backup that you've made with Carbon Copy Cloner, bring that drive to another Mac, and it can read it 
without needing any extra software. That's how it works. Carbon Copy Cloner also includes a safety net. Yeah, it clones. That's its job. But part of cloning means sometimes data needs to be deleted on the destination. With Safety Net, Carbon Copy Cloner allows you to enable this feature to move stuff out of the way for a little while, just in case you didn't mean to delete it on either the source or the backup. You can schedule your backups to occur automatically. Tasks can be chained together so you can have multiple backups going, and you can get email notifications when backups finish, either successfully or not. Really, really handy. There's a 10% discount for you because you're a Mac Geek Cab listener. Bombic.com slash MGG. That's B-O-M-B-I-C-H dot com slash M-G-G is the link you go to and you get 10% off. You can try it before you buy. I encourage you to do that. Then make sure you go to Bombic.com slash M-G-G and you will get 10% off using coupon M-G-G 10 off. That's M-G-G 10 off. Check it out. Bombic.com slash M-G-G. Our thanks to the great folks. At Bombic Software with Carbon Copy Cloner for sponsoring this episode. I'm pleased to welcome Bushel back to this show. Bushel is a cloud-based mobile device management solution for the Mac, iPhone, iPad, and iPod devices that you use in your workplace. What does that mean? It means that you can, from your desk, manage all of these devices without even having to touch them. This is all remote management based on the way Apple lets you do this stuff and the folks at Jamf Software who make Bushel have been doing this a long time and they're able to offer this to you in a way that makes it easy. Bushel is for folks for whom IT is a task and not a career. We've all been there. You're in the workplace. You're the geek because you listen to this show, but you've got other things to do. Bushel is for you. Instead of having to manage each device individually, you can do them all from your web browser. Automatically configure email on all of your devices. Managing apps is super simple. You can automatically install apps from the App Store to all your devices at once. If a device is lost or stolen, you can lock it remotely or wipe it completely if you like. You can do all this without having to physically touch all the devices. The app is fully responsive. It's a web app. And what that means is you can do it from your desktop, but you can also do it from your iPhone. Bushel is free for up to three devices forever just by visiting bushel.com slash MGG. Go and sign up. You get three devices for free forever. If you want to add more devices, there's a per device cost. It's actually quite reasonable and they are there for you. Like I said, Jamf Software has been doing this type of thing in the enterprise market for a long time. Bushel makes it easy for you to do this stuff for your small business, for your large business. Frankly, I'm even thinking about using it at home to manage all our devices. Think about that. Bushel.com slash MGG. That's where you go. You get your three devices totally for free forever. You got to check it out. It's awesome. Thanks so much to Bushel at Bushel.com slash MGG for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, I checked it out. Uh, I let this run while we were doing the, uh, the sponsors. Well, we're talking about our sponsors here. And the only thing that wasn't related to the printing subsystem, which seemed to have needed, it wanted to be written, writable, and it wasn't, was uh, on my slash USR slash local folder. It said that it should be owned by zero, which is root. 
and was owned by 501. So I told it, you know, I just let it fix it all. But here's the thing. I had to go and change the uh, user local folder back because I use Homebrew as my package manager. And it likes mm -hmm. and it, it, it writes some things into user local and it needs those at uh, it needs it to be writable by whatever user I'm running as. So I guess I could run Homebrew as under sudo and, and then it would be OK. But otherwise changed it to 501. But otherwise there was nothing on mine that was other than the printer stuff. There was nothing that mm -hmm. had a permission issue. Cool. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you could say all that with a straight face uh, makes we're good. What do you? What? I don't. I don't understand what you're saying. Nothing. No. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I mean, well, no, I was saying uh, you weren't crafting a you know dastardly you know tale of uh, no. No, my computer downstairs, I presume, is still running just fine. Um, but you know, well, that remains to be seen. Moving on, Mike asks. Uh, he says, I don't really need and really can't afford a full-blown Thunderbolt dock, but it sure would be nice to have a simple Thunderbolt to USB 3 adapter. Does anyone make such a thing? Yeah, actually, uh, there's a couple that I really like. One, uh, the, the one that I really like uh, the most is uh, from a company called Kanex, K-A-N-E-X. They make a Thunderbolt to USB 3 and gigabit Ethernet adapter, and that I love it. I use it with my MacBook Air because I have a uh, 2011 Mac, MacBook Air that, uh, that doesn't have USB 3. It's only got USB 2, but it has Thunderbolt. So I can run this and uh, I get Gig E and USB 3, which is great when I'm traveling. It's like a little mini Thunderbolt dock, if you will. But here's the thing. It's, you know, it, their price on their website is both. Eight. What's that? Can you do both? Yeah. It's it's simultaneous. Oh, right. It's yeah, 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 yeah. I'll put a link in the in the show notes. And Giggy. And right, Giggy sweet. off of Thunderbolt. Yeah, so it's like a, a mini dock. Um the problem with Thunderbolt is that it's gonna be expensive. Uh the thing on this this device on their on Connexus website is uh seventy nine bucks or or whatever, seventy nine ninety nine. You can get it on Amazon for about five bucks less than that. But you know, you're still gonna be spending seventy five bucks. This isn't a twenty five dollar adapter. And that's because that a, the technology and b the licensing of the technology for Thunderbolt is not cheap. Uh, Thunderbolt requires a lot more guts than, uh, you know, than just a, 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 I mean, it's not, it's not just a cable, right? There's a USB interface inside this thing and there needs to be a USB controller. There needs to be an ethernet controller inside it. And so, you know, it's, it's like a little breakout box. It, everything is like a, a dock when you're using Thunderbolt. It's just, how many ports are you going to put on that dock? Uh, they also make one that has USB three and eSATA. If you, mm. if you know, if you, if, if it's more important to you to have various drive right. interfaces versus, right. you know, yeah. So, so it's not just Apple gouging people on licensing fees. No, it's not. Well, and it's not Apple's tech, right? Thunderbolt is part of it. Is Intel, right. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Or IBM. I'm sure. I mean, they came up with the core technology. I think initially they, they wanted to do fiber and then it went to copper and all that great stuff. But uh, yep. yeah. No, it's a it, it it's a step up from a basic cable, and uh, you got to pay for that. Well, it's a huge step up. It's a you know, it's an it's a breakout box, right. is what like it you is. You said it's a it's a little little communications up. Yeah, it is communications up. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but that's still cheaper than you know, even I think even the most modest price dock 
full dock would be somewhere in the 150 to 180 buck range. So, I mean, you're potentially saving a hundred bucks. So, you know, that's at least half the price, if not less than half the price. So maybe that, maybe that does fall into your budget. So that's how Thunderbolt works. Um, you want to take us to Larry, John? I really don't want to, but All right. you don't have to. No, but I, I just feel for Larry's pain and that's why I don't want to, you know, right. just poke the bear because it's going to cause more pain. But you know, we'll, we'll share in the pain as here as community and I think we'll figure it out. But, um, so Larry says to us, Dave, I installed the latest update to El Capitan yesterday, 10.11.1 and everything was working fine into the afternoon and evening. But today I'm finding that mail crashes every time it attempts to send. I've attached the crash report. Would appreciate any thoughts you might have. And I get back to normal. And sending a crash report was awesome because otherwise, I don't know. How well, it helps. No, we, it, 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 it is. These, these crash it reports. The way it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I'll say. Um, crash reports are typically dumped in, um, we'll post an article on how you can retrieve them, but it depends on the OS, but, but they're all in the, the same general place. But, but it's basically something that the computer spits out mostly for developers and Apple and people like that. And it has stuff that most humans cannot even comprehend. But, uh, Dave and I can do that because we, that's what we do. That's what we do. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times the crash reports will say, okay, this thread and in computer science speak or computer speak, a thread is a piece of a program that's running, doing some very specific task, like sending mail or retrieving mail, or at least trying to. And you can have multiple threads in a program. So mail is running hundreds of threads, uh, as is the operating system. The OS is probably running thousands um, of these things, all kind of sort of happening at the same time, but not really. And, and we'll leave it at that. But um, if there are crashes, the crash report will identify it. And so in this case, it did and identified a routine that I've seen the name of before. Uh, and so did a little search here and actually referenced the article here. I don't have the specifics of the, uh, well, we'll link to the article or, okay. or the uh, Apple support thread. But the article has a common theme. Uh, and we've had a couple of people have problems with mail crashing and in this case the advice was the same though the specifics were a little different but the end result was i tried to launch mail and it crashes all right how do you solve this and the thing is the advice that we've offered sometimes um it's hard to tell if they're suggesting you do this or do it in a different way but from what i've seen dave when you have problems with mail or at least apple's mail.app is what we call it crashing um, if you're advised to disable the account, I would say that's not good enough because I've seen cases where disabling. So if you go into system, uh, the system settings uh, under Internet accounts, you're going to see a whole bunch of different options uh, and mail accounts are in there. Or you can go through mail, I guess, and do this as well. Mm -hmm. The problem is um, just disabling the account and then re-enabling it a lot of times or at least two people that have written into us with mail problems, that doesn't solve the problem. You have to actually delete it and get rid of it because my suspicion is there's something corrupt in your mail configuration. And just turning it off at the OS level and on again is not enough because the cruft that is causing the problem is still there even if you turn it off temporarily. So I guess the advice I'm offering is 
Um, the bad news is that doing that will potentially, uh, depending how your email is set up, if you're not using the latest cool stuff like IMAP, um, then deleting a mail account may delete all your email. So how do you deal with that? Well, through mail, you, uh, uh, and we'll leave this as well. We've done it in the past. We will do it again. But the key to me is to, to solve the problem. You can't just turn it off and turn it back on again because then we'll get rid of the problem. But getting rid of the problem involves deleting the account, which could potentially get rid of your mail. So if you if you want to back up back your mail, up, so go, go into your home folder, yeah. go into library. Yeah. In every yeah. OS prior to El Capitan, mail is stored in the V2 folder. Actually, not every OS, but but certainly... Um, the, the, so they moved on. Yeah. They, they, well, there was there was initially just everything was just stored in library or home library mail. Then it was moved to V2. And that was like 10.4, I think, where that happened. Uh, and now with El Capitan, everything has moved into a V3 folder. But when you go in to either the mail or the home library mail V2 or 3 folder, it doesn't matter. They're both mm. organized the same. You're going to see a bunch of folders here, one each for every email account that you have. And it will start with the protocol use. So it'll be pop or IMAP and then, and then the email address. And then you'll have uh, a folder for RSS, a folder for mail data, which has some things like your, that's where your preferences and, and the envelope index and all of your um, not really the caches, but sort of the mail databases are, and then there's a mailboxes folder, and that's all your on my Mac mailboxes. But if you're deleting mail and, you, and you, you're concerned about losing data in one of your accounts, it's the IMAP or POP. It's the mail. It's the folder named after your email account, and it should be pretty obvious what that is. Just copy that to either an external drive or even make a copy to your desktop. I wouldn't necessarily move it. Uh, let mail do that so that it's it's cleaning it out in all of the right ways and not just one of the right ways. But uh, but that should do it for you. And and that way you've got a backup of it. This is the place that you can back up your stuff. If you're you know if you're doing a clone of your whole drive, this is included unless you've excluded it for some reason. Uh, but that that's where you're going to get that data. And Larry, that should do it. That'll do yeah. it. All for right, everybody. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. All right, um, we can go to Evor here. We got an interesting, um, interesting question from Evor, and it included a great network diagram um, where he was having some problems. And uh, I'll, I'll read, I'll read some of this. He says, "My network provider is British Telecom, and the wireless router I use is their own supplied Home Hub Five." He says, I replaced the hub, an older home hub three. So I'm relatively sure that the issue isn't the hardware, but I am aware that it still could be the software on the hardware. Another part of the story is my Logitech smart hub. This is a great indicator to the health of my network as there is an LED that turns from green to red as soon as the network goes down. I use this as the main indicator of a problem. It's not bad. Uh, the symptoms are starting from a healthy network, where, which can last for a random period of time, uh, Sometimes my MacBook Pro shows that the connection is there, and sometimes the Wi-Fi symbol is grayed out. At first, I thought it was the MacBook, as when I recycled uh, the MacBook Wi-Fi, the network connection often returned. To isolate this, I shut the MacBook down. Unfortunately, I've still had network failures. Fast forward to today, I returned from work, and my partner told me that the network had been down for the previous hour. 
This tells me that the MacBook and my iPhone 6 Plus are not at fault because they were with me at work. I cycled the power on the BT router and waited for a connection. This happened very quickly and then failed. I spent a little time of frustration turning Wi-Fi on and off on both my MacBook and iPhone to try and force the connection. I then resorted to a longer power recycle of the BT hub, approximately two minutes, and waited a second time. This time the network returned and I'm back to being able to watch full programs on my Apple TV. I thought this started with the purchase of my MacBook last year, but I'm not convinced. I tried switching everything off and gradually introduced each device, but as it is an intermittent problem, it's not practical to leave a device off until I know that that's the problem. Could you please give me some advice as to go about troubleshooting this problem? Yeah. So there's, there's a, there's a few things involved here. And, and as I said, uh, Ebert sent us a great little diagram that showed everything that was connected to his hub, including a couple of power line adapters that, that bridge his ethernet from uh, what it sounds like his kind of computer set up in one area upstairs to his home entertainment center yeah. downstairs. Very common use of that's, power line. Um, that's, um, that's the problem by the way, but I'll let you continue. Okay. But that, well, like, if you know the answer, go ahead back. Oh no. You're going to bother to interrupt, man. Driver. Solve it. Not yet. Okay. All right. No, I'm backseat driver here. Okay. Backseat geek. I'm the backseat geek. I'm just going to say, I think that's the problem. Okay. Um, so no, I'm going to shut up. Okay. Go. So it, you know, in order of, of what I think it is, um, it could be the, it could be the new router, right? That's totally possible. It could be this BT home hub is just flaky. Uh, it sounds like you're having Wi-Fi go offline and that is coming from your router. So that is, uh, that's, you know, that's certainly one area where that, um, where that could be, uh, what I would do is power cycle that router. Um, well, I guess you did that. You power cycled it for a long time. Right. And so, okay, that leads to another issue. Your home hub, which is your router. And your Ethernet switch both have switches in them, right? The Ethernet switches, which are ways of distributing and and connecting a bunch of Ethernet devices together all at once. Um, I've seen it where a dying switch can cause all kinds of network confusion, right? If you've got a port that's going bad, uh, many times that can be an issue. It can also be if you've got another device going bad. It can actually send bad packets to the switch and blow the switch offline. You've got to power cycle both the switch and the computer, right? So it's possible that something you have plugged into your home hub via Ethernet is causing trouble. You know, he, he shows us he's got a Mac mini, a Synology disk station and an airport extreme. I mean, all of those devices are just fine. I had an iMac that uh, that would just go nuts and start and just take every other device off the network because it was just barfing traffic out to awesome. the, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it can be anything that, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not necessarily something that's, that's questionable or flaky out of the box. It's just, these things happen. You're also using power line, power line, which I love. We talk about it here all the time. There's one thing that power line doesn't pass. Uh, and that's what's called STP packets or spanning tree protocol packets. These are used by some network devices to decide the flow of data across the network. Now, I mentioned that Evor has his wireless router upstairs, and then 
uh, his home entertainment unit, we'll call it downstairs, and that two are connected by power line. Everything that's connected to his home entertainment unit is, according to his diagram, all Ethernet. But it's possible that one of these devices is connecting both Ethernet and wireless to the network. Sometimes, and again, it depends on the device, they rely on this STP, this spanning tree protocol, to be able to say, yes, I see a loop happening, so I'm only going to send data on one interface or the other. If they send these STP packets out and don't see them come back on the other interface, they'll assume I need to talk on both. I'm the master. And that can cause all kinds of network problems where you're, you know, you're scratching your head because you unplug, you know, any one of four devices and suddenly everything starts working. It's like, well, which one of the four is the problem? So it could be that it's worth checking all of your uh devices to make sure that they're only connecting to either ethernet or wi-fi but not both in this scenario so those are my thoughts on this john but i'm now i'm really curious to hear yours no i think you uh covered it oh all right (laughs) dude that stp thing was awesome oh my gosh wow that was really digging in I dealt well. See, every one of these scenarios that I pointed out here, I have personally lived through. And Sonos is something mm-hmm. where I, I fought with STP because I was trying to connect Sonos. I was trying to use Powerline to extend my Sonos network years ago before they moved to using just your normal Wi Fi and then things got much simpler. But, um, it and I, I learned that it was this STP thing. I was just like, geez. So, yeah, you just need to be aware of that because, again, some devices use it. It's this whole negotiation that happens kind of automatically between all the devices. And they say, all right, who's managing the bridge between the two uh, the physical networks, you know, the Ethernet and the Wi-Fi and, and all of that. And if a device doesn't see its packets loop around, it assumes it's managing it. And as soon as you have multiple devices assuming that, you've got a problem. Mm-hmm. So, so. That's the, uh, the, the moral of the story is switches go bad. Uh, hardware goes bad and you really want to be careful when connecting things to multiple points on your network. Um, you want to know exactly what you're doing when you do that. I'm not saying you, you never want to do it. There are times when it can work just well, but you want to do it in, you know, uh, with eyes wide open and with intention, not just accidentally. Ooh, I like that. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw in something too. Go. Is, you know, I'm trying to summarize it, but the thing is when you're, I would say in general, though it's hard to avoid these days with the uh, prevalence of uh, multiple vendors of all sorts of cool things that uh, yeah. we all get. To yeah, that's that. the problem, right? <laughs> the problem is, can you try to consolidate most of your devices onto one technology platform, whether it be, right? I think you see where I'm going, Dave, but I'm trying to suggest this for people setting things up is the fewer wacky things that are happening, the better. So if you could have all your devices talking to one router or one grand unified access point, whoever it is, because part of this problem, I think, is based oh, on that. Now, it, it, potentially. The, solve the yeah. problem is because it, you have an extension. Like, uh, again, Powerline is... You know, I, I, I'm not a power line user. Uh, I know lots of people love it. That well, you, you don't, be. your home is, is, um, compact I'm enough. Small enough where I don't really, yeah, you don't, you don't need it. It would give me right? limited. Well, the thing is, cause I have cable running all over the house. I'm mean, sure. I wired the place up. Right. 
right before I got here. But but I guess what I'm saying is in general, uh, um, it's hard to do though, especially if you listen to some of our cool stuff found shows because like, hey, get this new toy, get that new toy. Right. You're, you're introducing another point of failure in your mesh, in your cloud, if you will, your personal cloud, which I'll, I, I think it's safe to call it that now. But no, I was just reflecting on that. Now, yep. uh, though, I got to say, I mean, dude, Ivor, the diagram he did, this was like first night. I mean, this guy is, uh, must be a computer professional, or if not, he draws outstanding diagrams because this is a perfect diagram. I mean, he got yeah, I would actually, I would, like, there were no questions. Yep. Uh, if, if you don't mind, Ivor, uh, I would love to share this with, with the other listeners as an example, and I'll shoot you an email. So hopefully you've answered it by the time you hear this, but, um, I, I would also love to know what software you used to create this. What did he, I mean, you know, this could have in theory been done and it actually looks like it was just skilled use of like preview or something. I don't know. Mm, no, no, no. But it looks to me like a built-in program did this. I mean, the font yeah. is standard. I mean, uh, other than the, let's, well, let's move on because nobody's going to see it while we're talking oh. about it here. So it's, it's, exactly. it's difficult, but we'll, we'll share it to what our, uh, our Facebook, next? our Facebook group. Actually visit us on Facebook, macgeekgab.com slash Facebook. We'll definitely put it in there as soon as we get permission from Ivor, and also we'll share it to twitter.com slash MacGeekGab. So check us out in both of those places. Let's go to, uh, you know what? Actually, I want to do, John, is I want to talk about our second group of sponsors, and then I want to talk about Ernesto. Does that work for you? Sweet. All right. Drobo is something we mention almost every episode here at MacGeekGab. It comes up in one way or another. But if you don't know what it is, Drobo is storage for your computer. But it's more than that. It's storage that's reliable, expandable, resilient, and easy. What Drobo lets you do is they build a box. Now, they actually build quite a few boxes, but each one of them operates in a very similar way. You put drives inside this box and it creates a storage destination for you. One thing that's cool, all the drives are merged together if you like. So you have all of that storage in one place. Here's where it gets even cooler. Add another drive in there. Your storage space expands. Take out a smaller drive, replace it with larger drive. Your storage space expands. This is how it works. If a drive dies, replace it. You've got your storage back. You also kept your data. Drobo is resilient. And that means that it can survive the failure of a drive. Or you can set it up to actually survive the failure of two drives if you like. This is very cool stuff, and they make it so easy to deal with. You just connect this box to your computer, install the software, you're good to go. They've also now made it less expensive. Visit drobostore.com, and you get 100 bucks off of either the Drobo Mini, the third-gen Drobo, which is a four-bay Drobo, or the Drobo 5N, which is their network-attached unit. You get 100 bucks off of any one of those using our coupon code, Geek 100, G-E-E-K 100. This is only good through the end of this month. So you got to take advantage of this now. What that means is you can get the Gen 3 4 Bay Drobo for $199. It's normally $299. I just told you with coupon code Geek 100 at DroboStore.com. Now it's $100 off. That's $199. This is amazing. I love my third Gen Drobo with the 4 Bays. It's fast, USB 3 reliable, fantastic. You got to check this out. Drobostore.com, the Drobo Mini, the Drobo, which is the Gen 3 4-bay Drobo, or the Drobo 5N. Each of them 
You can get 100 bucks off with coupon code GEK100. Drobostore.com. Only good through the end of this month. Check them out. You're going to love it. Our thanks to Drobo for sponsoring this episode. We love making things easy here for you. And we also like cash. There's no better mix of the two than Gazelle. Visit gazelle.com. Tell them what kind of iPhone or iPad or even MacBook that you've got lying around. They're going to give you a price for it. If you like the price, they're going to send you a box. You put your phone in the box. This doesn't cost you anything. Send it to them. Doesn't cost you anything. They cover the shipping. Boom. They send you your money. I mean, they check it out first. They make sure that it's in the condition you said that it's in. If it's in worse condition, they're going to let you know. They're also going to let you know if they think it's in better condition than you estimated and give you more money if you like. They always ask before they make any changes, even those that seem obvious, like, hey, more money. They're still going to ask because that's how they are. Their customer service is fantastic. They've paid out over $200 million to their customers. You get your payments fast. You can get it as an Amazon gift card and get an extra 5% if you like. Or you just get it direct deposited to your PayPal account or they'll send you a check. Works really, really well. What's cool is you can go get an offer now. If you think you're going to get a new iPhone for Christmas, go ahead, lock in your price now. They hold it for 30 days. So whatever price they promise you for your device, you know, that size device, that condition, whatever they promise you now, they hold it for 30 days. So wait till after the holidays. If your wishes came true, boom, you've got a device to sell off. If not, well, no harm, no foul. Didn't cost you anything. Gazelle's square with you. You got to check this out. Gazelle.com, giving new life to use smartphones every day. They also sell refurbished smartphones. So you can check that out too. Again, visit gazelle.com. In the checkout process, they're going to ask where you heard about them. Make sure to choose Mac Geek Gab there. We appreciate it. And so do they. Our thanks to Gazelle for sponsoring this episode. Indeed. And now I, I want to go to Ernesto, John, because, uh, well, because it's always good stuff. Do you know? It's what we do. It's what we do. Well, it's Ernesto. Come on. Yeah. Uh, he says, I love your podcast and hope you keep going for a long time. I currently have my iTunes and iPhoto library on an external drive. The only way to back them up is to get another external drive and make a copy. Is that right? I have limited desk space and would rather not have another drive. I have three external drives already. I have crash plan as part of my backup strategy. Would that be a good option, even though it may take time to upload? Um, crash plan will do it for sure. Uh, you're right about it taking time to upload. It also takes time to download if you need to restore your data. So you should be aware of that. Um, time Machine will back up direct attached external drives. So you can back up to a local drive for a Time Machine destination, or you can back up to a direct, you know, to a network uh, Time Machine device, either a time capsule or, uh, you know, if you've got a, a Synology or a Drobo or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, that can be your your time machine destination too. So uh, those would be the options. In uh, other other online backups, of course, like Backblaze and you know all those others as well. But uh, but yeah, those are those are your easy options if you if you want to back up to something that's not directly connected. If you have if you do have a remote volume, you know something like Carbon Copy Cloner will let you uh, copy files to that. You can clone to a disk image on your remote volume. If you want to do it that way, it's, it's actually pretty flexible. I, I use CCC to clone my, uh, my iTunes library off to my Synology and that goes to a network drive. So lots of options. How about you, John? What do you think about? Dave, honestly, I think Ernesto has to get his act together. 
I'm not saying that in a bad way, but I'm saying that we all should review our backup strategy. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think that's what no, he's doing, and and, yeah. and 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 he's ex- doing exactly that. So, so the 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 short term advice is is valid, but I would also look at your uh, because I had some thoughts as he was indicating his um, uh, local layout is that he's got you know this drive, that drive, that drive. His space is limited, so it sounds like he has multiple smaller drives. Which um, okay, so one thing I consider is how old are these drives, and are they going to last your needs for much longer? Perhaps yes, perhaps no. But you may want to think about either, uh, you know, what's your plan for your portable backup? And it could be that, okay, you have these older drives. Maybe you want to think about getting an enclosure that is of a similar size with the similar capacity to to be something redundant. The thing is uh, that you're thinking about it now is great, but the thing is you don't want any single source of failure. So you have your library on one machine. It sounds like you're backing up. That's good. Maybe have even another one. I yeah. guess I, I just saw this as a, uh, I don't know if it was a cry for help, but no, it was a, it was a, a, a request for advice. That's yeah. what we're giving. So, so I would say think beyond the offline backup strategy, which is awesome because then now it's, even if all the local things are stolen or break or explode or whatever, um, you're still good offline. Yeah, that's, so a, that's a good point, John. I, I treat crash plan or backblaze or, you know, any one of the variety of offline, well, or online, I guess is what they would be uh, backups as the last resort. Uh, I back up to those just in case things, well, things go really wrong here. Uh, at least my data is somewhere else, but when I need to go get a piece of data off of a backup, that's the last place I go because it's slow, you know, downloading it versus just copying it from something local. It's much better to have it in two different places, at least two. Well, Dave, I would agree with you. I'm, I'm, you know, losing your data is never a funny thing. So excuse my laughter, but I got to say is that I, I treat them the same way as you, because Dave, right now I use for various purposes to back up certain types of documents, Google drive, BitCasa, Dropbox. Um, I don't know. That's BitCasa. What the heck is that other thing? Um, Transporter. Yep. Uh, so I have a, Oh, here, uh, one drive. So, so I have, I think probably about seven online services that I use. And I spread my documents among all of them. And, you know, of course, I come up with a brilliant password. So it's not the same across all of them. So if you hack me, you don't hack all of them. But that's another thing to think about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is, yeah. Like you, I treat them as none of them I consider critical. And if they all disappear tomorrow, I'd probably be okay. Right. Because most of them store the stuff locally as well. But still. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Backups are good. Backups yeah, are good. is good. Moving while we're on the backup subject. Yeah. Let's talk to, uh, let's talk to Sean because uh, Sean said when recently when trying to do a backup on my time capsule, I've been seeing the message pictured below, which says time machine completed a verification of your backups on your time capsule to improve reliability. Time machine must create a new backup for you. So this would be the third time that this has happened to me in the last four months. I've clicked on start a new backup, which it does. And the first time it did it, there was at least a gig of free space left. So I know it wasn't running out of room. I'm running a late 2009 MacBook with the latest OS. My time capsule is the fourth gen one, according to airport utility. Uh, Up until this point, it has worked fine. What's happening is the hard drive or even the time capsule itself dying. So it could be that the hard drive's dying. That's possible. Um, something is causing your backups to get corrupted, but here's the thing. This is really normal behavior 
regardless of how new your time capsule is. Uh, <laughs> well, we, I mean, we all see it. I, I go I'm through this. Sorry that I'm making, I seem to be making light of it, but I'm laughing because it's so sad that it's a regular occurrence in my world as well. Isn't yeah. it? I'm going to get this. And by the way, they're lying to you. Um, the message is lying, but I've gotten the message too saying, you know, it's kaput and we're going to lock the old one and you got to start a new one. Yep. And it does. And it locks the old yeah. one up, at least in terms of time capsule being or time machine, being able to write to it. Um, and then, yeah. And then you make a new one. I do this at least twice a year per machine. Uh, and it it's time machine is far more reliable when it's backing up to a direct attached disc. It is, it's just not Ooh. right. Because for you're two gonna, reasons, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to go there. Okay. I, I like this. No, I'll go there as soon as you're ready. I mean, if you want to go somewhere else, no, no, I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to figure a direction and uh, okay. whether I violently disagree and I don't think I do. So go, go, yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll keep thinking. We'll see. Well, you'll keep thinking and interrupting me. I'm sure. Um, the yeah. uh, time machine on the network does two things. Number one, it's connecting to a destination across the network and it's managing that connection, right? So it's not like when you back up to say crash plan where your computer packs up the data and hands it to one of crash plans computers, which then goes and writes it to a drive that at that point is local to the computer that has the data, right? What's happening with time machine is it's writing the data to a drive that's remote, but it's your computer doing the writing. So if anything happens to that network connection, the disc on the other end is left waiting and hanging. There's nothing on inside your time capsule that says, I got this. I'll wrap this up for you. You know, let us know when you're back online. No, it just, it's a dumb device in that sense that it's just a, a network available disc. And so that's a problem in and of itself. On top of that, it uses disk images when backing up remotely, as opposed to when you do a direct attached time machine backup, it just sends the files over. Uh, but when it does it over a network, it's, it has to create a disk image there so that it knows what format that is. And it doesn't have to worry about it. And it can just pump data into the disk image and, and have everything be the way it expects it to be. And disk images add another layer of complexity. I don't want to say they're unreliable. They're not. But when you take a disk image and start causing problems by dropping your connection midway towards writing it, it's just another layer of things that can go wrong. And that's what's going wrong here is it's saying, you know, we've noticed something about your disk image that we cannot fix. And so we're just going to leave it alone. Your data's there as good as it is, and you can start a new one. And then really what you, what you should do is once the new one's good to go, you just delete the, uh, the old one. Uh, and yes, you lose your history. So be aware of that or archive it off somewhere. And uh, you can repair these, but it's a disk image. Um, once they start getting wonky, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend a lot of effort trying to repair them. So that's my thoughts. What do you think, John? Can't touch this. Mm -hmm. As far as trying to repair a broken disk image? No. Well, you can. I mean, disk utility will do it. No, there are articles that claim you can try to do, but, but rabbit hole. All right. That's mm -hmm. all I'll say. Mm -hmm. No, you're, you're right. Yeah, you, you'll fix you it. Want, you, want to go, you, want, you want to go further down? Go ahead. Yeah. By all means, the, the tools are available to let you do so, but I, I personally would yeah. pursue that. Path. Yeah. 
All right. No, that's about it. No, other than that, I I think we're uh, we're good. I, yeah. I agree with your uh, your uh, uh, wisdom. Cool. All right. Uh, it's time to talk through some cool stuff found that we've uh, that we've accumulated. We've accumulated, and you've accumulated over the last couple of weeks. The first that I want to talk about is the uh, the strap for Apple Watch from Nomad Goods. Uh, these folks. It, I love this thing. It's a, it's, it's a strap for the Apple watch, but it's a, it's a leather strap and it's at hellonomad.com. That's where you can check it out. Uh, it fits the 42 millimeter watch only. So I don't believe they make it for the 38, but it's a, it's a nice piece of leather, uh, two pieces actually, because it buckles like a traditional watch strap would really looks nice. Kind of enhances the look of the Apple watch. Gives it, gives it that kind of weathered leather look. When you get it, it's brand new leather and it needs to be broken in a little bit. And then it's only took me a couple of weeks to break this in. And I, I really, really come to like it. And uh, it's a great option for a, uh, for a holiday gift, you know, for your Apple watch wearing uh, friends and family. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's, uh, it's nice. I like it. It's good stuff. Uh, Zach has a good little... Cool stuff found. Oh, oh, actually, Zach has two, doesn't he? I think. Uh, the first is an app called Malwarebytes at malwarebytesbytes.org uh, to remove extortionware from your Mac. Have you checked this out, John? Mr. Braun? I think it's similar right, to there another one. Yeah, I think okay. it's similar to another one that I've uh, I found. Okay. And how did that work for you? Uh, let me look it up here. I think it is malware bytes. Okay. Now I'll look on my other machine to get a match here. But yeah, there are a couple of pieces of uh, malware detection that are... And actually, I ran one the other day. I'll, I'll find it while you keep going. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll keep, uh, I'll keep us moving here. How come uh, I'm trying to put links in the show notes and they're coming in without HTTPs, which is weird. Uh. All right, let's see. Uh, Jason, uh, who is really, truly the king of cool stuff found around here sometimes, he, uh, he's always got awesome stuff, and um, he sent me a bunch of these on Twitter. Uh, a link to an article at MacKungFu.com about, about how to back up your online life to your Mac. And, uh, and there's some great things listed in here about how to get all of your like Facebook uh, data as an archive. You can pull your Facebook stuff down as an archive, believe it or not. Uh, you can pull down your eBay data, all your all the stuff you've sold there as an archive. You can pull down your PayPal transactions, which if you do any significant banking there uh, are totally worth, uh, you know, having saved because the IRS or whatever taxing authority you operate under might want to know some of that information and of course you can download a twitter archive too as well as a google archive so we'll put a link to that in the show notes it's really handy stuff thank you jason for sending that uh for sending that along another one from jason yeah you'll go ahead john sorry do you have something to add there well some malware bites yeah so they have oh, something okay. that i think we touched on before but it, it's good to touch one again because i've actually used it personally last time i was at the uh, parents uh, there was malware installed. Well, how do you know this? Well, you go to malwarebytes.org and they have two products here. So I'm, uh, so 
So for the thrifty, you can just download the freebie, which is malware cleanup. That's good. Malware is software that attempts to steal your valuable personal information from you by deception, uh, usually by convincing you you're installing a Adobe, Safari, whatever, legitimate installer and you're not. So the software does it for free. And then uh, if you throw them a couple of bucks, they do some additional things for you. So cool. I've used it. It works. It actually, I, I saw it come up. It actually identified um, Mac Keeper as malware. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> and did it remove, would it remove it for I think, you? I think, uh, I think they, they instructed you to try their removal instructions okay. first. Okay. Just thought it was kind of funny. It's cool. Like, oh, Mac Keeper's installed. That's malware. I'm like, all right. Yep. All right. Uh, all right. And then, uh, for those of you who enjoy the terminal, Jason shared a link about learning all the wget commands that you should use. Wget is uh, installed by default in, I believe, no, it's not installed by default in Apple's terminal, but you can install it with Homebrew or pretty much any package manager you want. Uh, it is a utility that lets you pull down things from the internet uh, directly with terminal commands, and you can use it. To do things like mirror, you know, if you if you have a website and you want to download an archive of it, you can do that, right? And have it go and get every page on the site and save it all to a folder uh, on your Mac. Wget will do that. This website shows you how to do that with Wget because it's one thing to have the command available; it's another to know how to use it. And this one has some really great examples. This article has some great examples of what to do. So we'll put that in the show notes. What's up, John? Well, I got to say, it's wget. I looked into it the other day because somebody was asking this. How, uh, is there a command that can suck down an entire website, all all content? There you go. And the first thought that came to my mind, Dave, yeah. Well, well, the second thought. So the first was, oh, wget. Yeah, I, I remember using that. And the second is, with great power comes great responsibility. Right. Yeah, and also great and confusion. Wget. Yeah. Well, the problem is wget has the potential. And remember this: if you're thinking about a site that's like big. They may not appreciate you crawling their entire site, downloading everything. That may be viewed by some as an attack. Yeah. And I'm not kidding here, Dave. No, but if you look at this article, it actually, it addresses that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure the the articles suggest that you be strategic in what portions of a site you requested. Well, what you can do, what you can do is tell W the entire site. (laughs) Well, or you can follow the instructions in the article and tell W get, to delay 30 seconds between each request. Right. Right. And that way you're not hammering the web server Sweet. all at once. Yeah. 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 It's good stuff. Yep. I knew somebody would figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, also from Jason, cool stuff found Bob Vila's iPhone add ons. <laughs> Most of the stuff in here is pretty crazy, but you can add like a, a fan to your iPhone. You can add uh, a sensor. You can add, um, there's a fan on my iPhone, isn't there? No, I guess there's no. no. Is there? No, no. No, it's there's just no the, fan in the iPhone. It's my computer. Yeah, right, right. There's one in your computer unless you have a. The oh old, wait, uh, does the Pro? Does the Pro have a fan? Hmm. No, no, it doesn't. It's um, it could, but yeah, it some could. interesting things like a grip to make taking pictures easier, uh, an armband, a projector in a case, which is pretty cool. Uh. A, f- a fan, as I mentioned, the Kivo from Quickset, so that fits into the whole Bob Vila thing, where you can unlock your doors with your iPhone. 
uh, a structure sensor so that you know when uh, when things will fit in a certain spot. Uh, a thermometer for your iPhone for the external temperature. And uh, uh, oh, yeah, of course, the Task One Toolkit, which is like a Swiss Army knife for your iPhone. And it'll actually cut, um, you know, you can I mean, they, they have a picture of you using your iPhone to cut through a branch of a tree, <laughs> which is pretty fun. So uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. That's good you stuff. really need the phone for that. But, you know, uh, well, yeah, that's sort of where it gets a little, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's. Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something to do. Right. You know, it, it still won't get through TSA. So, <laughs> um, are you sure? Uh, no, no. Anything will get through TSA. <laughs> Who knows? You never know. It's a joke. Um, Jason also sent us something that I was going to mention either way. Uh, fire cores infuse, which is one of my favorite video players on iOS is now available for Apple TV. So infuse lets you copy movies to your iPhone and we've talked about it here on the show before, right? And, and you can download movies from your, all your various media devices that you might have. If you've got, you know, various different servers and uh, all sorts of stuff. Infuse for the Apple TV lets you watch stuff that you can't do with Apple's normal movies app. And so this, this, this is where it starts getting really, really interesting. And I, I'd like when, uh, uh, you know, I, I like that this stuff, that this stuff exists. Um, it will let you browse your, your, um, your, you know, your NAS library for all your movies. It'll pull down metadata for movies. Really, really nice stuff. So you got to check it out Infuse for the Apple TV. And I, and it's, I'm not sure. Uh, I guess it's nine 99 in the app store. So we'll put a link to it. Of course in the show notes, but this is, this is exciting, right? Because previous generations of the Apple TV, you just could only watch whatever Apple let you uh, see through their movies app. And now, you know, with, with infuse and Plex and all that stuff, the, the world just opens wide. Very, very cool. So thanks for sharing that, Jason. Also found Jason found a life hacker article about iOS nine, which of course has been out for a couple of months now. And the ability to share voicemail. I never really thought about this. I don't use visual voicemail. I'm a, I'm a Google voice user. Um, probably should just use visual voicemail, but I like getting my voicemails emailed to me so that I can see them when I'm at my computer. So are your voicemails not stored in audio format on your phone? Is that what I'm hearing that you front end that with Google? They're, they're not stored on my phone. Yeah. They, okay. um, they're, I just get them via email. Right. Or, or I can go to google.com slash voice and sign up, you know, and, and see them there. And that's where you can go and, and sign okay. up. And they have instructions for a, a secret, not secret, but a, a big, long arcane command that you <laughs> pl plug into your phone that redirects your uh, calls off to Google for Google voicemail so that it, it works for you. Okay. Yeah. No, I just want to be clear. Yeah. Like the other day, I, I hadn't done anything to my phone and all of a sudden it said, um, yeah, your voicemail is approaching... 90 percent and i'm like huh and that the iphone I that guess, must be or, with or verizon iOS. um so i don't think you're storing your voicemails on your phone it either must be yeah well you know i've looked with um various utilities i see the audio files stored that's true on the phone but you I are storing stored, them there that's right i think they're stored 
But I think they're stored on, as you're pointing out, I think this is the line where it crosses over between you and your providers that I think they're stored with Verizon as well. Yeah, no, that's, that's right. You, they are stored on your phone. But I just never recall because I got the big boy phone now. I got the 64 gig. So I'm like, wait a second. You're complaining that you don't have enough. The, the big, the big for, boy is 128 now, John, but that, but you know, well, I got a bigger boy than the last time. So okay. I'm calling it the big boy. Okay. Cause they had the 32, but I couldn't sure. get the 32. So I got the 64. That's right. So I put on the bigger boy pants. This All right. Time. Well, that's good. But yeah, now when you're looking at your, your voicemail on iOS uh, with iOS nine, it's got a share icon and you can mail your voicemail to somebody else, or you can store it in probably Evernote if you want. You know, I see this. So my question is who's bringing up that warning? Is it Verizon or is it the phone or we're going to have John's Verizon conversation thing. first folks. So let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. And then I'll, I'll get back to Jason's thing here. Um, so it, <laughs> nah, when Jason. you get, no, when you get that, um, when you get that warning, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, again, I have, it's been a long time since I've used visual voicemail on, on the iPhone, but um, I believe you're getting that warning from it's the phone giving it to you, but I believe it's about your carrier mm-hmm. because your carrier has, okay. Uh, storage, okay. but, but maybe somebody can help. Cause I, I, I'm, I'm actually the wrong guy to ask. Um, cause I, like I said, I just store everything on, on Google. So, but yeah, if you're looking, oh, so right. we're good. I can try this one last time. When you're, when you're looking at your voicemail on your phone, there's no. a share icon no. and you can no, go, you can message off, you can save it to, you know, notes or, or mail or any of the, any of the apps or services that you have on your phone that are available to the normal share sheet are available here. So it's uh, handy stuff. Thank you, Jason. And if anybody knows John, the answer to John's question, that would be um, handy. Lastly, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned AliExpress, John, the uh, the website where I uh, you can buy stuff direct from Chinese manufacturers. You buy direct and, sa- and the savings, uh, and you enjoy the savings. Hopefully. You do. It's like if you're massive savings. <laughs> yeah, I've got my stuff. I, 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 I mean, there's still stuff... Uh, on route, but you know, and this stuff's so inexpensive and right. listener, John, uh, wrote in and said, I purchased an Apple TV four uh, shortly after it came out mm. and the Siri remote that came with it is fine, but it's a little slippery on my recliner arm and I would get up and it would slide onto my wood floor. Not good. Then I read articles about smashed Siri remotes and all of that. And I got scared. So I looked for a case for my remote remote and I found one for 30 bucks. He said, but I looked on AliExpress and I found one for $9.98, including shipping. He said it's a silicon case and it doesn't slip on my chair. And because it covers the bottom part of the remote, I never get the remote upside down anymore. It also comes with a strap that you can put on for gameplay if you like. I got it uh, and he, he sent us a link for it, which we'll obviously put in the show notes. And uh, and I ordered one today when I saw your email, John. So uh, it, mine will be here within... Uh, 15 to 31 days uh, because that's, that's how the, uh, that's how it works. So we'll yeah. put a link to it in the show notes. It's good stuff. I love Ollie. Can't all be in a jet plane. Um, no, no. And you know, Sometimes if you want, hopefully my family's not boat to China. Oh yeah. It's a, it, it comes slow. It comes China post is what most of them send through. So it actually just links up. It, it comes on, uh, hmm. I guess it would be a boat. I don't know if it's a boat or a plane, but it, it comes for me. It, it stops in New York and then 
it, it, at that point it's handed off to the U S postal service and it gets delivered, uh, you know, three or four days later. So it's fun tracking things in China too. And hopefully my family's not listening, but I'll tell you folks, if you're looking for, um, like a Milanese loop style, Apple watch band or anything like that, they yeah. have these things on, uh, on AliExpress, and they're, you know, it's like 20 really? bucks. Yeah, man. Apple certified. No, no, you <laughs> watch bands don't need to be Apple certified. That that's the thing. Um, right. So it's fun. You know, it free it, market capitalism. Well, it makes, it makes the, it, and this is why I'm hoping my family doesn't hear because there's a couple of people in my family that have Apple watches and it makes the concept of an Apple watch band. It takes it from, you know, an extra band from being something that's going to cost you, you know, several hundred dollars to being like, a, you know, like a stocking stuffer kind of thing. It's just like, yeah, all right, get that and that and that. And now you got three of them for like, you know, 50 bucks and you're good to go. So, yeah, yeah, fun. Uh, I don't Should know. Be able to throw them out like Andy. I think so. Right. Hopefully they, yeah. they stay on, you know, that would be the only concern. So test them. Let yeah. the buyer beware. Right. Not your fault. Uh, well, it, it could be, it could be. I don't know. What do well, I know? They have to sign the release before they get the gifts. Uh, yeah. Done that? I've done that. I've, I've had family sign releases. Yeah. You have? It really takes away a lot of the stress about family gift giving. Yeah. What's that? What's that clink I heard? That clink is, I have this big Mondo, uh, what's the brand name on this? Clean Canteen water bottle. Because I'm out of tea and uh, I, I wanted to get some water, but it's this big monster thing, so it's really hard to move around quietly. But uh, but it, it contains water, so yeah. that's good. Yeah, yeah. Any I've cool stuff found from you this week, John? Uh, coming, coming. Alrighty. Well, that's fine. Your answer gave me enough time to get water. That's all I needed. Now this was a this was a, a maintenance week. Gotcha. I know how that goes. Uh, we mentioned Facebook and Twitter. So. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the place where you can email us anything you like. Cool stuff found, questions, answers, tips. This show was full of stuff from you, and it was awesome. So thanks for that. Mm-hmm. And he said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com it is. Or if you're a premium subscriber, premium at MacGeekGab.com of course i want to make sure we thank the folks at uh, cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you podcast marketplace as we mentioned in the show includes quite a few great companies we've got uh, drobo there of course coupon code geek 100 where you're going to save a hundred bucks we've got bombic software where mgg 10 off saves you 10 percent there gazelle because that's the place that you're going to go to get the cash that your iphone should become your used old iphone should become right it's all good stuff oh what else do we have here and we have bushel of course at bushel.com slash mgg where you get three free devices doesn't get any better than that it's pretty good imazing.com where imazing.com coupon code mgg saves you 20 percent squarespace at squarespace.com slash mgg linda at lynda.com slash mgg gets you 10 free days smilesoftware.com slash geek where you can see the latest thing that they have for you and maxsales.com awesome awesome stuff john 
We're back on Sunday next week, which will be a nice thing. It's always a little crazy doing these shows at the end of the day on Monday when I've had all sorts mm-hmm. of stuff going on. Yeah. But do you have any I'll advice? Stuff. Yeah, so. Do you have any advice for the short? You've been really mumbly today. Um, do you have any advice for the short week? My advice is not to bumble, <laughs> not to bumble, not to fumble. But always remember in the very end, please don't get caught. Made up.